Hello, good morning, good evening, and good afternoon, and wherever you are in this wide, wonderful world that we live in, you are very welcome to the Global Sales Leader Podcast. Every week I speak, or every time I speak to some phenomenal people around the world and around the globe that are experts in their field. So we look at psychology, behavior, economics, tech, technology, coaching, and lots of different facets around that because understanding how people work and how people operate and how you can connect with your clients and your customers more authentically with trust and respect, the better that you can be as a salesperson. So I'm the sales relationship coach. Oh, what does sales relationship coach mean? It's all about your relationships with your clients, especially in these times of adversity. It's you've got to build on that relationship and building it for longevity because that's how you build that trusted advisor approach. So I've got a fascinating guest today. I've got Ian Mills. And the reason why I'm, I'm speaking with him, number one, I've read his book. And uh, also a friend of mine also suggested speaking with Ian. And Ian, you're very welcome. I'm really looking forward to this. Yeah, thank you very much indeed. I'm uh, a pleasure to be here and intrigued to see uh, where this takes us. Yeah, I'm always fascinated by that. But before we go any further, look, I've got your book open on a strategic page with a little bit of synopsis about you. Managing partner of Transform Performance International and co-author of 100 Big Ideas to Help You Succeed. And also the sales secret code, if I've said it correctly. And I put that as a ticker on the bottom of my for the audio listeners, uh, you won't be able to see that, but it's the salesperson secret code, and it's available on Amazon. I'm sure we're going to speak about that. But rather than me speaking about you, Ian, why don't you give um, me a synopsis of who you are and what you do? Well, look, fundamentally, I'm a salesperson. Um, I'm 60 years old. Um, I was 60 almost almost a year ago. I've been selling for over 40 years. Um, I, oh, and by the way, I should suggest that um, everybody sells. I, I, you know, I think, agree, you know, whether, you know, frankly, whether you're a parent trying to convince your children to eat vegetables or whether you're a, an undertaker trying to sell more services, every one of us is in a sales role of, um, you know, of some of some sort. So, um, look, you know, I, I started my entrepreneurial career as a very young man. I then got in the corporate world. I worked for a famous American tech, uh, a famous American confectionery company called Mars. I then um, I got into the financial services sector. I hit lucky as a very young man. I was I was running something like fifty banking branches in my uh, in my twenties. I then got into the software industry, and like many people, there's a pivotal moment in your in your career where you think, "Hold on a minute, do I want to keep doing this, or do I want to do something myself?" Yeah. So around about twenty one years ago, I set up a company called Transform People International. Um, and the purpose of that company was to help organizations perform better through people, um, whether that was about helping people sell more, lead better, communicate better, collaborate differently. And that's frankly what I've been doing and what my company has been doing for the last uh, 20, 21 years. We, we, we rebranded about five years ago from transform people to transform performance mm -hmm. for a very simple reason. That's the language of business leaders. They're interested in performance, not people. The, yeah. fact, the fact remains is that we still do it through 
uh, people. And we've been lucky enough to work in about 60 countries for some of the biggest uh, brands in the world. And, um, you know, and you can see a link to the books in that our talent is behavior change, yeah. helping people to think differently, act differently, behave differently in pursuit of something magical. That's, That's what great. I'm into. That's what I love about this because so many people get it wrong and it is a behavioral shift in where they were to where they're going to. So whatever that transformation is, that piece in the middle and how you think and what you do to actually say to yourself, I'm thinking now slightly differently. It's just so important. So I like to say people skills because ironically enough, uh, you started out saying people and we are communicating between one person and another. Yeah. But how are we improving on that? Because I've seen it in uh, so many companies that I work with is there's a lack of it. Or I don't know whether the the it gets lost in translation somewhere along the lines. So in your opinion, what's the best way to be more effective at communicating something to persuade someone and influence them? What? would be the behavior okay. shift in that <clears throat> i know no it's a, it's a great question it's right at the heartbeat of the research that we did into the book called the salesperson secret code and um essentially what we would be saying to any organization or any individual is don't focus on skills and don't focus on behavior, focus on mindset. And in fact, to be a little bit clearer, focus on your underlying deep rooted belief system. Yes. So Can from a psychology more. point of view, um, there's a there's a very simple linkage. The belief you hold will cause you to behave in the way you behave and the way you behave will cause you to be the success that you either are or are not. Mm -hmm. So if you want transformation, then you've got to focus on really what goes on inside. What's going on in your head? How are you coping? What is it that one person does on a cold, icy morning that somebody else doesn't do? Um, what's the catalyst that causes them to behave in the way that makes them distinctive, noticeably different, more successful? So, so I'll give you a really, you know, I'll give you a real example. Um, okay, I'm going to go back in time, and it's a, it's a proud moment for the Brits when Roger Bannister was the first person ever to run the four-minute mile. Okay, um, that's historic, not desperately mm -hmm. interesting. What's a little bit more interesting is how many people ran it the year after. Now, the records are not that accurate, but it's between five and ten. Yep. Um, what's more interesting is why did they not run it the year before? Because you know, nothing changed in terms of training techniques, nothing changed in terms of diet, nothing changed in terms of equipment. But the year before, those runners sat on their sofa at home um, saying to their families that nobody will ever run a four-minute mile, their belief. Therefore, their behavior was, I sit on my sofa and I watch you know, Netflix. A year later, they sat on that same sofa, said to their family, some guys just run a four-minute mile, I better up my game. Um, mm -hmm. and run a four-minute mile. So it's a very small, isolated example of how if you can recalibrate how you think, then it will it will change your behavior 
not like a flick of a switch. Sometimes the behavior will take some some weeks, months, and years to hold, mm -hmm. but eventually you will get there. I think it was um, Ford once said, "If you believe you can or can't, you'll be correct." Yeah, yeah, I know that. I know that one very well, and it is, yeah. and it is the internal dialogue that we do say to ourselves, and because of our flight, flight or freeze mechanism that we've been programmed to actually have hunters and gatherers and all of that. And you're probably well versed on that. A lot of the stuff is there to protect us. So a lot yeah. of the language that we use is most likely more negative because it's saying, I need to protect myself. I need to do this. Yeah. But look, look, you know, you know, you're right on the money. I, I, you know, I'll give you another example. It's just, it's a story out of school, but it's a very true mm -hmm. one. At the beginning of the pandemic, in fact, just before the pandemic, I facilitated a conference with circa a hundred people in the audience, uh, happened to be in London. Um, and almost in my opening remarks, and I was uh, mic'd up, it was a great environment. And my question to the audience was, who is the best salesperson in this room? Now, if that were in New York, there would be 15 or 20 hands going in the air yeah, because yeah, it happened cool. to be in the UK. Nobody put their hand in the air. So I had to look at one of the bosses and the bosses points me at a guy in the corner and I walk over to the guy in the corner and um, I look at him in the eyes and I say, um, I say, how many of the other 99 people in this room have banged on your door in the last 12 months to buy you a coffee to find out how you became the number one salesperson? Now, I could guess what the answer was going to be. So the initial yeah. answer was silence. And the reason it was silence is his brain was going, I don't want to embarrass all of my mates. Um, but there's a point at which I'm kind of good with silence. So eventually you have to say something. And, uh, you know, and his answer is, I don't think anyone has knocked on my door to find mm -hmm. out how I got there. Now, the reason for that, and you don't need to be a psychologist, is that the other 99... Um, I sat there thinking, well, he hit lucky, he's got the best accounts, he was helped out, he won't be number one next year, um, and therefore they'll continue to do what they do. And yeah, the yeah. likelihood is he'll, he'll absolutely be in the top five next year. So if I go back to one of the questions that, that, that you asked me a moment ago, you know, the most successful people in the world will learn from others because they believe that they will learn the good, the bad and the ugly, you know, because actually whatever you, whatever you show curiosity about, whatever you engage That's the word I was thinking of. Yeah, yeah absolutely. You know, you know, even if you find something that doesn't go particularly well, you can learn from that to avoid doing that. So the way you model somebody else, and what I don't mean is just purely copy their skill. What I mean is, is have a deep, immersive dialogue to find out how they cope in adversity, how they cope in challenging moments, how they cope when things aren't maybe going as well as mm -hmm. they should cope. And one of the things that we, we studied when we did the research, um, we, we to, to make it easier, we, we tried to study the degree to which salespeople believe that they are in control of their success. And what we did is that we measured the optimum balance between being what we call a victim versus being a hero. So, so 
a victim is somebody who's always got a reason for not performing. Yep. There's a pandemic, there's an economic downturn, our pricing is poor, the competitors are better, I've been given the poor accounts. That's victim-style behaviour. Yeah, and that's uh, the stuff that's going on at the moment as well yeah. with uh, recession. Oh, no, the recession. Oh, I can't oh. sell. Uh, my manager's telling me this. Rather than you going up to your own uh, ability and going, be yourself accountable for your own actions and get right. off your own. Okay, so 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 this is absolutely right on the money. So what yeah. we found, so so a hero is somebody who absolutely will acknowledge that environmentally there are challenges. But what yeah. they'll do is they'll find a way around, they'll find a way under, they'll find a way over, and they'll find a way of achieving the um, outcomes that yeah. they desire to achieve. So, so what the research said, and it was really interesting, is that the top, top performers, and we know this because of their performance data, mm. actually had a bit of both. But, but as you would imagine, a far um, stronger level of intensity into um, hero-style behavior. So yes, they would go off on one occasionally. But when you compare that with an average performer or poor performer, that's far less frequent and will emerge far um, less often. Now, that's only one of a number of measures. But when you um, when you merge these these characteristics or these belief systems together, then you absolutely have a recipe um, or a platform uh, for success. The thing I was thinking of is the top of the top people, the 1% of the 1%, uh, the people that are just absolutely flying it. I'm always curious about what they think, or maybe they don't think they just do it. Is that what they do? Because um, I've spoken to some really top people around the 1% uh, yeah. of the 1%. Is it just that process of going, well, that didn't work. Let me just do something else. That didn't work. Let me feed forward. Um, let me try something different on a different approach and let's not think about the in a negative way but let's think about the things that i could improve on because that's the a right way of saying it to yourself as opposed to going oh that was uh oh i'm going to dwell on that for the rest of my life and that's going to um, probably over dramatizing that a little bit but it's just to go well let me just do something else now and let's not dwell on it let's just go forward and let's do something else. Okay, so 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 what you describe is a coping mechanism, yeah, um, and potentially a skill. So so it's a technique by which I can cope and I can hone that skill and become much better at it. Um, where where it gets really interesting, Jason, is what is it that causes them to do that? You know, what mm. is it that causes them to make themselves potentially uncomfortable to do something that nobody else is doing when they have choices? You know, because we can all go home and sit in a warm, cuddly environment and enjoy our evening, or we can all make more calls um, yeah. and get a little bit more rejection and, and, and get towards some kind of desired state. So so everything comes back to attitude. So if I think if I think about the mix that makes a brilliant sales person if if you park tools and processes and methods and yeah. you say well actually you've got to have knowledge you've got to have skill you've got to have behavior and you've got to have mindset skill is relatively easy to acquire because that's about relentless practice Absolutely. so you or any of your listeners think about golf well go and hit the ball ten thousand times and you'll become quite good at it yeah mm -hmm. knowledge is easy to acquire you know because that's about uh, that's about studying. You know, behavior 
is something that you can um, adopt because somebody might just tell you to do it. Go faster, go slower, go more strategic. Um, the bit that's really difficult is to change your deep-rooted beliefs that, as we, as we suggested a moment ago, will be the catalyst for you developing those other things. Mm. Um, so, so, you know, if you're coaching somebody, if you're a leader on this call, or indeed if you want to perform better yourself, then the place where you will get transformation is changing your mindset, changing what you believe is, 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 is possible. So I'll give you another example of a measure that we researched. So, so what we also did is we, um, we measured the sense of fulfillment and the way in which top, top performers um, synthesize their sense of achievement. And what we looked at is we looked at the optimum balance between being driven by a fear of failure versus achieving what you never imagined you would achieve. Mm. That's really interesting because what we found is low performers have either a very high fear of failure, which paralyzes them, or they have no fear of failure, which means that they don't really care. So you need a bit of fear of failure, but what you need is you need a sense of achieving something you never imagined you could achieve. So whatever that might be, it might be to run a marathon, it might be to become a CEO or CRO yeah. or whatever that might be. It might be to write a book. It might be, it might be something that you know your friends and colleagues think oh my god that's incredible so yeah, what do you mean is it's getting yourself out of your comfort zone and pushing yeah. yourself because the brain gets lazy and the brain yeah. is an automatic program yeah. and it likes uh, uh from the study that i've done on neuroscience it's once you start to do and learn something new the brain gets automatically gets stimulated on i need to learn i need to uncover that if if your boss is giving you a task to do and you're going I haven't got a clue how to do that. Your brain will find the answer if you're there and you want and have to want to do it and need to do it. And I think that's part and parcel of what you've suggested in your book is having that right attitude. And I might be jumping around here a bit, in, uh, and I hope you don't mind, is no. I find with salespeople uh, and when I have people on courses, they want to be there or they or they need to be there. But wanting to do something in your own head, I want to achieve something. It's something slightly different like by giving you something. I always want to go out and do, do more and achieve more and strive for more because that's in my, in my DNA now. But I've had to program myself to do that. But at that, there are people out there that just don't have that. But what can we do to make sure that they have that behavioral shift to want to do it and to improve? Because that's where... I'm always fascinated in making people change their focus from one direction to the other. Does that make sense? Look, I, th I, I, I think it does. And, and by the way, I don't think it's easy. Um, no. So given my company trains and develops sales organizations, um, I, I think it's relatively easy to give somebody a skill or relatively easy to give somebody a piece of knowledge um, or to give them a CRM system. By the way, I think all of these pieces are important, yeah. but actually getting somebody to open their mind to the art of the possible um, and, and change those deep-rooted beliefs that often are um, inculcated in childhood based on culture, upbringing, 
um, experiences can be an incredibly difficult thing to do. So, yeah. so you know, um, I think the only way you can do that is to is to build people's confidence, to expose them to experiences, to get them to um, to test things out. You know, you know, you know. I can say this. As a, as a salesperson, one of the things that really frustrates the heck out of me in the world of selling is that salespeople don't often read, learn, study, model. They, it's, it's a grand irony because the most important behavior of a salesperson is curiosity, and Absolutely. many of them show no curiosity. Um, you know, it's kind of... Um, you know why wait for somebody else to push you or pull you or corral you so so i do find that a little bit frustrating i th i think a little bit of that is that many people fell into sales um yeah. and made good money and therefore think oh, well i've kind of made it in life um but they don't have necessarily that ambition to get to the top or to make more money or to achieve more things or to do something they never imagined they would do and there's a there's a a quote I really like, and it's out of another book. I can't remember which one. It doesn't really matter. But one of the things that leaders often ask people when they're coaching is, you know, what's your ambition? What's your dream? Um, you know, what motivates you? And, and, and the problem with those questions is that you typically get a very corporate answer. Oh, yeah. I'd like to hit my quota and I'd like to be in the top 10. Oh, boring, boring. boring. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what I was thinking. Right? Yeah. So there's a, I, I, I once read and I've experimented with this, um, but this guy said, you need to ask people what it is that makes their heart sing. Yeah. And I think that's a fantastic question. And rarely can anyone immediately answer that because it shocks them a little bit and it causes them to think in a completely different way to the linear corporate way. And, and as you begin to unpack what that is, then as a leader, the way by which you can then um, um, uh, so penetrate their heart and their passion mm. is through that deeper understanding of things like, you know, you know, what is it that makes their heart sing? So I think it, you know, it's a, it's a tricky thing to do to change people's mindset. But you know, the Roger Bannister story is a good example of something happened that caused them to wake up and smell the coffee. So the more you can get salespeople to do that, the more you can get them to achieve what they never imagined they could achieve. I'll give I'll give you a little. I'm going to get the name of the book wrong, but I, yeah, but yeah, I, please do. Um, I I I I read this book recently, so I don't know if you've ever seen, and I know your audience is international, but there's a UK yeah. program. I think it's called Rich House, Poor House. Um, and I basically, think there's an American version of that as well. Okay. All right. Brilliant. Okay. It's, it's a really simple program. There's a poor family swap houses for a week with a rich family, and they get the budget of the poor family and the rich yeah. family, and they get to experience what it's like to live in a different environment. So I sat down watching this one evening, and I thought, I really like the rich guy so i sent him a little note um through social media while the program was on and we struck up a conversation and he um and he sent me his book and i think his book was uh called i didn't read the memo and really? i really like that and, uh, and so what he meant what he meant by that is I've never conformed with what everybody else does um because if i read the 
the memo, if I read the script, if I read what normal people do, I'd just be a normal person. Yeah. So I ignore all norms, and therefore I've been hugely successful. So this guy, just just by way of background, um, had a very poor upbringing um, in a rough part of London, um, single parent, you know, reasonably deprived, um, and he became a qualified barrister. Um, he then decided that there wasn't enough money as a barrister, um, so he set up his own law firm um, and built a successful law firm. He decided there wasn't enough money or challenge in doing that, so he terrified his wife, um, who, who between them they had five children, and he uh -huh. packed that in and he set up a property company that property company is now a plc you know he's making a making a lot of money but but the whole point of the book was to say um not not to say break the rules or purely don't conform but as a salesperson don't worry about what other people are achieving um you know, make your own mark and in fact, I, 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 a very good friend of mine, you, you, you're too young, Jason, to remember this. But, you know, if I roll the clock back 30 or 40 years, there was an insurance company in the UK called The Prudential. And, I remember uh, the, it. I do remember it. Yeah. So in the old days, The Prudential would knock on the door and mm -hmm. they would take your premium of a pound or a dollar or whatever, whatever the monetary value was at that particular time. And they had in the thousands of salespeople, door knocking salespeople. Anyway, my friend um you know known him, known him for many years um he joined them and he was their number one salesperson within the six, first six months but he told me the reason he was their number one salesperson is he didn't know because his manager didn't tell him what other salespeople were doing so he banged on more doors um he converted more sales and he therefore made more money quite interesting isn't it it's, a, it's an interesting way of looking at things as well, because you also, uh, when you know everyone else is doing or someone's succeeding more than you, you you sometimes go, oh, no, can I succeed? Uh, that's what some people think in organisations. Are oh, they flying it? And I go, oh, no, I panic. Rather than going, you know when they say the grass is green on the other side, but tend to your own grass first, rather than yeah. looking at elsewhere and seeing what's going over the, on the other side of the fence. Once you start to look at yourself, and you can actually start to improve yourself. Yeah, look at it. You, you, you know. So, 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 if we go back to the sort of belief system, if I, if, if I, but so let's imagine I'm a salesperson, and I'm in my twenties, and I look at the chief revenue officer, you know, who's probably wearing a beautiful suit, driving a lovely car, and living in a big house. You know, if 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 I have a deep rooted belief that I can be better than him or her then it's not going to happen overnight. But what it will do is it will set me on a journey of learning, developing, um, uh, showing curiosity to find out how he or she got to that particular destination and copying and pasting their behaviors, their skills, their mindset, their hints, their tips, their ideas into, into my world. Oh, and well, what am I also going to do? I'm going to go find a chief revenue officer in an even more successful company, and I'm going to go buy them a glass of wine. I'm going to find out what they've done, and I'm going to dig deep, and I'm going to be relentless in acquiring what I need to do in order to get to that uh, get to that destination. Ian, I was going to suggest is uh, when you say modelling, because I've looked at this area as well. 
it's looking at what they do and the behaviors and attitudes and everything else but make it your own uh, which is absolutely key because i'm not ever going to be uh arnold schwarzenegger by i go to the gym and i work out but i'm never going to be arnold schwarzenegger but i can take elements of what he does and his attitude to doing stuff and look at that and go well i can make some of that characteristics my own in my own way but not all of it so so yeah look look um let me give you a little example of a of a a coping mechanism i thought it was a really smart one I, I think the guy and i may get the name wrong is graham obery um anyway i got this guy to speak at an event once and he's a very interesting man so he um uh he's got gold medals for cycling he's had a film done about him he's bipolar um, he's a fascinating character he was brought up on a rough housing estate in glasgow and he he made his first bicycle out of the spare parts of a washing machine uh, but he made the bicycle in order that he could escape from the bullies yep. and that's what got him into cycling um and he told my audience that when he was training for the olympics um <coughs> and anyone who knows scotland again if you know if you're from the us or wherever that might be it's colder in scotland than it is in in, in england so yeah. in order to go out training it's likely to be snowy icy and cold so he once said to my audience he said i will always always look at the weather forecast when i get back in to see whether i should have gone out so hopefully you got that. So I always look at the weather forecast yeah, yeah, yeah. when I get back in to see whether I should have gone out. Now, now that's a really subtle um, uh, mindset shift from others who would look at the weather forecast and think, oh, it's a bit icy. If I fall off and break my ankle, I'll miss the Olympics. So what would happen is that they would compromise their training routine. So if you think about the aggregation of marginal gains, mm -hmm. then those other athletes may compromise their training routine and come bronze. He would he would find that coping mechanism to play tricks with his mind in order that he did what he needed to do to give him the greatest possible chance of getting a gold medal. That's the same uh, as the story about David Beckham. Like everyone would go off after they, they'd be all be training together and then everyone would go off and get washed and changed. But David Beckham would be still there trying to curve the ball into the goal. And he would just do it repeatedly, 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 again and again and again. And it's the same sort of thing. Like you just do things outside of your comfort zone, but you do it to practice to get better and improve. Right. So, so... So if you take a David Beckham, and you know, he's a really good example, in my opinion, is he will have done that because he believes that over time he will become the best in the world, uh, yeah. free kicks and corners. And I, I'll give you another little example that will translate internationally. Um, Mick Jagger. So mm -hmm. I think this was about five years ago where the Rolling Stones were the opening act at Glastonbury. Most human beings would imagine that he'd been there, done it, got the T-shirt, you know, He's got every accolade in the music world that you would ever imagine. So they're going to be backstage, having a few beers and then strutting their stuff. But I studied um, what he did um, when I read the fact that he declared that he wanted to become the best opening act ever at Glastonbury. And there was a routine that he went through um, and the Rolling Stones for six months prior to the opening act in order to become the best opening opening that just one one minor example 
and, and again, I may get the numbers wrong, but I think he studied videos from the previous 15 opening acts in order to work out what they did well, what they did badly, what they did that was distinctive, in order that he could learn from all of those so that in the environment, he would be the best of the best. Yeah. And then when he delivered that, of course, you know, the media claimed that you know, he and the Rolling Stones were just absolutely exceptional. Well, you know, being a rock star is no different to being a salesperson. Uh, absolutely. You know, I what's the completely difference? agree with you. Yeah. And I heard this, uh, a similar story about Zig Ziglar. I, I spoke to his son several times and I know him quite well, Tom Ziglar. And he said exactly the same about his dad. His dad would present hundreds and hundreds of times and he's exceptional what he does. And the story goes, he said, I have to rehearse. I have to practice. I have to study. I know my stuff so well, but it doesn't matter. Every time I, 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 I speak to someone, I have to do my uh, research on my practice and everything else, or what his rehearsal, mental rehearsal, whatever he did to perform at his top every time that he spoke. And that's the same as us as salespeople. And we all are salespeople as, as we started out. Look, you know, I think it is. And, you know, one of the other things I've observed, which I, f I find a little bit strange, is that if a business person has to stand on stage and present in front of a thousand people, they tend to practice it and rehearse it and practice it and rehearse it. Um, then they go on a sales call where there's a $10 million prize and they wing it. And I don't quite get that, you know, because actually the value of the sales call is far greater than the on-stage presentation. Absolutely. But a lot of that is to do with embarrassment. So what I don't want to do is stand up in front of a thousand people and make myself look a, a complete jerk. Yeah, um, yeah. But nobody will really know if it goes badly in the sales meeting. So, so I really believe that, you know, the world of selling is becoming significantly uh, more sophisticated and, 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 just a little bit of recent research that, that that we did was really interesting. So many of your listeners will be familiar with behavioral psychometric instruments, um, things like MBTI, Insight, yeah. DISC, and, 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 and so on and so forth. Um, we did some analysis of one of our, one of our clients. So we took their top performers and we mapped them against a behavioral model. And what was really interesting is the top, top performers tended to be a little bit introverted, um, heavily into the detail, yep. um, good listeners, um, not necessarily the center stage, charismatic, heartbeat type salesperson yeah, yeah. And, and and to me that's a massive shift over the last over the over the last 10 years and and a lot of that has to do with professional buyers so professional buyers are so well prepared that in order to um be trusted you know, use your language at the beginning to become yeah. a trusted partner you've got to add value yeah. um by having deep domain expertise um otherwise why are you there you know as a professional buyer i can find out all sorts of stuff about your proposition you know i need you to join the dots for me in a sophisticated way where you understand my world you understand my problems you understand my challenges um and that requires um an intelligent sophisticated model of engagement 
Mm. No, I completely concur with that because it's been proven to be true. Like introverted people can make phenomenal salespeople. And I read some study the other day about uh, introverts or just analytical people that think in a slightly different way because they're maybe more curious about the world. They want to analyze it. They want to pick it apart. And in order for them to do that, they have to ask questions. And in order for you to ask questions, you have to peel the onion to get the core of whatever the challenge might be. So here's a so here's a great for at least I I feel is a great phrase. So I don't know whether you know, but I've written another book called The Leader's Secret Code. So our publisher said, look, you know, you've done the sales one, do one on leadership. Yeah. So what we did in the in the leadership book is we interviewed some iconic leaders, but we didn't go for the classic corporate organizations. What we tried to do is get you know a military leader, a leader in the arts, somebody who 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 runs a Michelin star restaurant, and some traditional. Uh, corporate corporate leaders. So um, my friend James Knight, um, who at the time was a major in the Royal Marines and has a military cross. So you know, for anyone internationally, that's an honour for extreme bravery. And he's a very young man. And he has this phrase, and it's a brilliant phrase. And he said, um, as a leader, be interested, not interesting be interested not interesting so it's not all about you and how clever you are it's all about the other person and i think that translates beautifully into the world of sales yeah. um show your knowledge and your value through your questions yeah i completely agree with you there uh, and it is it's not about us it's always about them question exactly. i was going to ask uh, about uh, curiosity if you were interviewing you in what sort of questions would you ask that you hadn't been asked before um i don't i, I i've no idea i i've been asked so many questions in so many different ways i mean you know and i, I and i'm of thinking how do i make this vaguely interesting for your audience so so you know look um one of the questions I like to ask others, and therefore it could be a question for me. So I now have grandchildren. I've got two grandchildren. So when my grandchildren get a little bit older, what will I say to them that I'm proud about? And, and, and I'll tell you the reason I think that's a really interesting, the answer can be really interesting and of, of, of value, is that often as, as younger business professionals, um, we focus on earning money in order to buy the house, buy the car, buy the holiday, um, and so on and so forth. Once you've bought the house, um, there's a lot of research that says actually having another bedroom or having another zero on your bank account won't make you work any harder and it won't make you any more successful. So, so really getting to the heartbeat of what it is that motivates people is is, is really interesting. Mm. So learning that yourself um, and any leader learning that about your people, because actually you can then help your people get to what that might what, get to what that might be. I think that's quite a powerful thing. Love that. Yeah, that's good. And I like that question because it makes people think in what you would like to ask themselves. So how can people find out more about you so you know probably the uh, the easiest way is just to go onto linkedin um so my company name is transform performance international but you know it there's quite a few ian mills is ama- um, amazingly i i kind of thought i was unique but i'm not <laughs> um 
but I'll probably pop up on LinkedIn on the fr on the front page. You know, my company website, you can see it on the screen right now, is transformperformance.com. But, you know, frankly, anyone who engages with me, I'm, I'm interested in making connections, helping people out. Um, so given we talked about curiosity, yeah, ping me a note, ask me a question. If I can help, help you out, if I can add value in any way, then I'm more than happy to do that. And I don't want this to sound like a sell sales pitch and and just a kind of a point of reference for people writing a book is a great thing to do it's a it's it's something that will give you a huge sense of satisfaction mm. you won't make money from writing books um, unless unless you write a book on cooking right <laughs> jamie oliver here we go yeah well you know if you look at the top 10 selling books at any one time at least half of them are, are cookbooks um business books don't sell in volume but anyone in the world of professional services what it does do is it opens doors for you it's like um, a cd it, yeah it is a it is a cd big time um and and it creates lots of um you know lots of opportunity and what you know what we've done up the back of ours is that you know we have programs we've got psychometric benchmarking instruments so you know so anyone who wants to find out how they stack up against the code you know we can assess them and you know there's all sorts of kind of clever and i reinforce that because i've done that one myself so i'm okay. already there and i oh, can't okay. remember what the results were because it was a couple of years ago so i probably need to do it again but uh... yeah well jason we'd probably need to do the leaders version on you so, yeah uh... i'd love to do that uh yeah. and maybe we'll come back and we'll speak about uh the leadership program on another podcast because yeah. i've thoroughly enjoyed today i think it's been yeah. really good i always like to say and the reasons why i do this podcast and the listeners will know this is if you can learn one thing that can excel you forward to do better and transform yourself to be a better salesperson better leader in what you do we've done our job really well and that's my passion and also my purpose to myself is to improve on what i do because you can never stop learning and growing and performing better. And so this is one cog in the wheel to help people perform exceptional at the best they can possibly do, if not slightly higher. Another phrase from my grandfather. So Ian, thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah, enjoyed it. Uh, very good indeed. Thank you.